Welcome to the Almost Enlightened Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Morin. Before we get started today, I'd like to thank you for being a listener. This may only be episode 11, but I am so grateful that you're listening. After last week's episode entitled Purpose, subtitled The Letter, I had a few people reach out to me to share their stories. Holy smokes, what a powerful experience and what an honor to get to interact with you as we go through this journey together. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with me. And I'd also like to acknowledge some of my listeners that tune in from around the world. Thank you to my growing audience in India. I'm so grateful that you're listening. And thank you to my new friends in the United States, Germany, Switzerland, the United Kingdom, and South Africa. Without you, I would just be talking to myself. So thank you with all of my heart. Okay, are you ready to get started? Let's do it. I'm pretty sure that everyone on the planet has experienced and does experience fear. But what exactly is fear? Where does it come from? What's its purpose? Is it controllable? Well, this is what we're about to discuss. So why don't we examine fear? I had an interesting weekend. You see, this past weekend, my wife shared some news with me. She let me know that her mom had texted her to let her know that she'd been to the doctor's office because she has two suspicious spots on her skin. Now, I should fill you in and let you know that my wife's mom, my mother-in-law, has had skin cancer in the past. Of course, when my wife shared that news with me, I became concerned. And it wasn't until later in the weekend, when we had a bit of free time together, that I asked her if she wanted to talk about that news. I also asked her how she's feeling and if she was worried. Her response kind of surprised me. She said, there's nothing to worry about right now. Huh. It was a bit of a shocking response because I had expected an emotional conversation. But when I really started to think about it, though, I thought, huh, I suppose she's right. Why would you worry about something that doesn't exist right now? And that really got me thinking about all the useless things I've worried about in my life and continue to worry about. Hence today's episode, which is called Fear and alignment. We've all experienced fear, and we've all experienced happiness. So which do you prefer? (laughs) Sounds like a dumb question, doesn't it? Well, would it shock you if I said, I appreciate them both? While it's relatively easy to acknowledge the fact that feeling happy is awesome, and that it's an enjoyable emotion, what would happen if we were to ask the question, is fear even an emotion? Of course it is, is probably what you're shouting right now. Like feeling happiness, sadness, jealousy, outrage, or any other emotion, we tend to believe that fear is just another one of the many emotions on the emotional spectrum. But when I let my mind really ponder the conundrum, I come up with the possibility that fear is simply the negative connection between your mind and an event. Huh? What's this guy talking about? Well, What I'm saying is that in order to connect to something that doesn't exist yet, you're going to have to think about it, which provides the only connection between your mind 
and that event. Because by very definition, fear is the arousal of a negative emotion that's connected to an impending event. So you've got you, your very self on one hand, and you've got an event, whether real or imaginary, on the other hand. What is it that connects those two things, you and the event? I'll tell you that the only thing that connects them is actually your mind, period. Fear is what connects your mind to the future event. So do you see why I could make the argument that fear isn't an emotion? Now, just to be clear, I do consider fear an emotion because of how we use the word in our society. But there's probably another word I could use that better describes the connection between mind and future event. And maybe that word is thought. So we're going to come back to that thought a little bit later. In the meantime, let's examine fear a little more closely. Picture a forthcoming public speaking event in which you have to speak. If you're terrified of public speaking, you'll connect with that future event by being fearful of it. Conversely, if you really enjoy and derive fulfillment from speaking to people, you'll connect to that future event with a positive emotion. Now, isn't it fascinating that there are at least two diametrically opposed ways to approach the exact same event? It actually blows my mind. It's the same darn event, and yet on one hand, we can be fearful of it, or we can warmly anticipate it. If that's the case, which it seems to be, couldn't we derive the conclusion that fear, and we'll call it a negative emotion, is simply one way of examining or approaching an event? Now, I'm going to take a detour from where we were going with that thought for just a moment, and I'm going to riff on a word that I just said. So I just said fear is simply one way of approaching an event. The word approach is a really interesting choice of word. We hear that word used quite often in society, as in, tell me how you approached writing that song, or how did you approach that difficult conversation with your child's principal? Approach means to get close to or nearer to. It implies that we're moving towards something or that we are pulling something in so that it approaches us. So when we talk about fear, could it be that fear is the approaching mechanism that draws an event to ourselves? Kind of like a tractor beam. Now that's a cool thought, isn't it? And maybe it's something to think about. But let's get back to where we just left off and come back to that cool tractor beam concept in a few minutes. We were just admiring the fact that we can approach a public speaking event with fear or with positive anticipation. It's the same event, just different approaches or different perspectives. The reason I said earlier that I appreciate happiness and fear is because there's much to be learned by examining both perspectives. So let's stick with public speaking for a moment and pretend that we're terrified of it. Now, I realize for some of you, you won't have to pretend. Let's ask ourselves why we fear it. Because it's actually not the act of public speaking that scares us. It's the potential consequence of public speaking that makes us fearful. When you really examine the situation, you realize that your fear of public speaking is actually a fear of embarrassing yourself or not performing adequately, or looking like a fool. 
In actuality, what you're really fearful of is how other people will perceive you, or perhaps the fear of criticism. And let's dig even deeper. What truly makes you uncomfortable is that deep down, you know that you haven't acquired the skill of public speaking. It makes you uncomfortable because you don't have knowledge of it. This is why practicing public speaking or going to Toastmasters is a means of getting over that fear. As you build knowledge and experience with that skill, it'll start to become part of you, and consequently, your fear will diminish. Here's a quick tip for you. Anytime you feel uncomfortable, know that there's a lesson to be learned. Fear is a degree of uncomfortability. And yes, I'm aware that word doesn't really exist. When you feel the discomfort of fear, ask yourself what you can learn or what you're supposed to learn so that you can move on. There's one surefire way that I know of to overcome fear. Are you ready for it? It's to stop thinking of yourself. One of the keys to the universe is giving, and we've talked about that in a previous episode. When we realign our motivation, our mindset, our very lives to giving, there is no place for fear. Do you doubt me? Well, why is a flower so spectacular? Why is a tree so perfect? Why are you so beautiful? Because you really are. Even if you doubt it, you really are. You're spectacular, you're perfect, and you're beautiful. A tree's purpose is to give, to give oxygen and life to the millions of organisms that coexist in symbiosis with it. Even when it dies, and I say that in quotations, it still provides life unselfishly. The arc of your life isn't that much different. You may give life to others if you have kids. You may help friends in their journeys. Your smile will affect someone in a way in which you are completely unaware. And when you die, and you will, you will return to the earth in some way, shape, or form. The arc is there. But we are gifted with a mind which is what it is to be human. And we are so fortunate to get the opportunity to see and to experience with that mind. And to experience is to learn. We are here to learn. And the fastest way to learn that I know of is to give. So let's get back to public speaking so that I can back up this whole idea of giving. There's zero point in public speaking for the sake of public speaking, right? I mean, why would you? When you speak publicly, it's because there's a reason for it. Perhaps you were invited to speak, possibly because of your expertise on a particular subject matter. Or maybe you've organized your own event in which you're going to speak. But again, this is because you have a message to deliver, and you believe that message is best delivered by yourself. Whatever the case, if your only motivation is to give, or to share your message without strings, then you can not fail. It doesn't matter how charismatic you are, what you look like, or how strong your voice is. You have a message to give, and it will be received by those that want or need to receive that message. Now let's call the message the gift. Incidentally, this is why people often say, forget about the money, it'll come. That's because you don't need to be motivated by money to receive it. It simply comes when you give. And so does everything else that we need. 
When it comes to public speaking, if we solely focus on giving to our audience, there is no more room for fear. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret of mine that completely demonstrates this phenomenon. In creating today's episode, I actually had fear. I started the episode a few days ago and got completely stuck. I began to get frustrated and irritable. And then I had a breakthrough. You want to know what that breakthrough was? It's a sentence that I wrote in my notebook at the very beginning of my notes for this show. I did it after I got stuck. And here's what it says, all in capitals and circled. The goal is to provide my audience a means to understand, confront, and overcome fear. That's what it said. I'm going to repeat it because it's really important. The goal is to provide my audience a means to understand, confront, and overcome fear. The minute I did that and stopped trying to write the best podcast ever is when it all just came together. The episode basically created itself. You see, there's no room for fear anymore. I have a mission, and my mission is to give. I truly want to share what I know, what I'm learning, and what I think. In this case, what I know and what I'm learning about is fear. If that helps one person overcome something that was terrifying to them, then that's a victory. The conclusion is that giving is how I ultimately overcame the fear to create this episode. Now let's have some fun. Earlier, I talked about the approach, stating that fear, or positive anticipation, is the mechanism that draws an event closer to us. In case you missed it, I posited that in order to connect to a future event, we must do so with thought. I mean, how else would we do it? We can choose to do that with negative emotions like worry, anxiousness, concern, or any of the other negative emotions. Or we can do that with positive emotions like joyous anticipation, eagerness, or bliss, just to name a few. But whatever means we use, we are simply pulling in or nearing the real or imaginary event. Let me ask you about this. What is it about a vacation that you most look forward to? You see, for me, it's not the pina coladas. It's not the sun. It's not even seeing my kids enjoy themselves. It's the feeling I get from any and all of those things. The feeling or the emotion of happiness, satisfaction, love. We're all looking for the emotion. For many years, I prided myself on being smart. I thought that my superpower was an ability to outthink and to win. I made every good decision and every bad decision you could possibly imagine just so that I could feel something. And I did. Some days guilt, some days shame, some days love, sometimes joy, you name it. But very few of those things were enduring, and it was torturous. As I began to reinvent myself, I learned about the heart. What I began to learn, and I'm still learning, is that if you truly want to live, then get out of your head and start thinking with your heart. When you do this, everything changes. And if you're sitting wherever you are right now and you're thinking that I'm crazy because we need the brain in order to think, don't you worry about that for a moment. Your heart will fill your head with ideas that are beyond anything you could possibly conceive of. And this is where genius comes from. 
and I'll tell you, it's within you. Finding my heart allowed me to discover and explore emotions. Emotions create new dimensions. They allow us to see an event from a particular perspective. When we realize that, we can use those perspectives to learn. We can see fear objectively for what it is, which is simply another way of learning. We needn't fear fear. We should appreciate it. And the more curious and passionate we get about learning, the more we realize that examining something from multiple dimensions or perspectives is the best way to gain a more comprehensive understanding of what we desire to learn. Here's an interesting observation. I was watching an interview between Marie Forleo and Tony Robbins the other day. Tony was telling Marie that his mission, and I'm paraphrasing, is to get people to commit to making a decision that they will not suffer anymore. And from what I gleaned, it would appear as though Tony's in a place in his life where he's deliberately chosen to live in perpetual happiness. When the negative thought crosses his mind, he watches it go by and doesn't attach to it. Instead, he just lets it go and attaches to a different, more positive thought, which ultimately shapes his mood or his disposition. Now, I've tried that, and I can tell you that it actually works. For me, it was a difficult state to be in for a sustained period of time. But just like any muscle, if you work at it, eventually it gets quite strong. But if, like me, you don't live in a state of perpetual happiness, then appreciating fear might be a stepping stone in getting to that ultimate state of nirvana. Okay, we're getting close to the end of this episode now, and one thing we haven't quite tackled yet is the instinctual will to live. Some people call it the instinct of self-preservation. You might say that its counterpart is the fear of death. Now, in a world in which pretty much every media outlet covers death and destruction 24 hours a day, it's pretty easy to be convinced by the experts, and I say that with quotation marks, that death is imminent. And since every fear is rooted in something we don't know or don't fully understand, death is a big one because there isn't anyone around who can tell you what it's all about, unlike having someone around to teach you about public speaking or even snakes, another common fear. Now, the antidote to fear of death is, are you ready for it? Living. When we choose to live, to live in the now, the imminence of death, a future certainty, ceases to exist. Fear is never going to prevent death, but it sure as heck will prevent you from living. Now, we're coming full circle here, friends, so bear with me. Remember, the only thing that connects you and a future event is your mind or your thoughts. Therefore, truly living in the now eliminates the connection, which is the fear of a future event, in this case, death. And just as we discussed, there is no better way to live in the now than to give. In much the same way that giving eliminates the room for fear, it's also true about the fear of death. When we live and give in the moment, our lives become filled with appreciation, wonder, gratitude, and purpose. And when we give and share our knowledge, it exists well beyond our physical existence, in our offspring, in our friends, and quite potentially, in future generations. In the end, the best part of you, the most harmonious parts of you, your very energy lives on and it doesn't die. 
Accept or submit to the reality that your physical body will cease to exist one day and focus on the now. When you do that, just like a brilliant meditation, you will realize that being in the moment is the only thing that matters. As a small parting gift, I'm going to ask you to do something that'll make you think and possibly make you quite uncomfortable. I'd like you to think of something that you already fear. Maybe it's death, losing a loved one, maybe running out of money, or whatever it is that you fear, because we've all got fears. Now, I want you to appreciate the very thing you fear. If it's losing a loved one, then how about spending some time simply appreciating that loved one? Think about your love for them. Feel the love in return. Remember the experiences you've shared, and this will begin to dim the fear that you feel. If you're fearful of running out of money, a big one in our society, appreciate what you do for a living or whatever it is that makes you money. Examine what you give to your customers or to your teammates on a daily basis. Think about how you make a difference. And think about the value you could be adding if it's value you want in return. Live for your passion and breathe your purpose because when you do, You'll be living in the now, and money will be an afterthought. It'll cease to worry you. If you're worried about abuse, I know this is a tough one, appreciate yourself. And if you have it in you, appreciate those that have done you wrong. This by no means indicates that you condone the abuse, but it allows you to be in a very powerful position, which is the position of the observer. From that vantage point, it becomes a little less difficult to make objective decisions that can free you of your fear. Remember, viewing from multiple perspectives allows us to learn. And by learning, we will ultimately overcome our fears. Laura Davis, the inspiring author of several books, including The Courage to Heal, who is also a speaker, and in her words, a public survivor, has a quote that really resonates with me. That quote reads, Many survivors insist they're not courageous. If I were courageous, I would have stopped the abuse. If I were courageous, I wouldn't be scared. Most of us have it mixed up. You don't start with courage and then face fear. You become courageous because you face your fear. Isn't that a beautiful quote? I think that's the perfect expression of today's episode. So I'm going to thank you for listening and let you know, as always, that I appreciate you.